0: Well, it's great to be with the Christ Journey family again, and wherever you're making your connection with us, we welcome you. I was out last week, got to be with my family, with my wife's family. Uh, If you're joining us online today from Lisa's side of the family tree or from my side of the family tree, we welcome you. Maybe this is your very first time church online, and uh, along with anybody else who's making that connection, we welcome you today. But it's also so awesome so wonderful to get to come back to the Christ Journey family here in Coral Gables. So special uh, blessing to get to be with you today. Looking forward to this. Um, and like Ryan just said, you know, people are the worst. You ever realize, You ever notice this? That people are. Chances are, if you are a people, if you work with people, if you live with people, if you have a family of people, if you have anything to do with people, you have probably had occasion to either think or say. People are the worst, like people like at, at the grocery store who take 13 items through the 10-item fast express lane. It's like, this, that's the worst. Or people who have their, their carts full of stuff, and you're right here ready to get in line, and they just slide and slip right in front of you in line, There, that's the worst. Somebody said, you know, morning people, they're the worst. There are two types of people in the world. You know this? Morning people and those who hate them. Speaking of cutting in line, anybody who cuts in line knowingly, they're the worst. Which reminds me of Miami drivers. Miami drivers, are they the worst? Come on. Just like right in front. I I mean, in Missouri this week, somebody cut me off in front, and I thought, you think you're in Miami? I'm from Miami. You want some of this? You know, people are the worst. (laughs) Elaine says to, to, to Jerry Seinfeld, you know, I'll never understand people. They're just the worst, Jerry says. Did you know there's even a product line online of people are the worst merchandise, merch. People are the worst merch. So if you never thought it was a thing, I'm telling you, it's a thing. People are the worst. The Beatles, you know, the most popular rock group in history? So many of their songs are about people doing and not doing to each other, like the worst. Like, you know the song, you, you say yes, I say no, I don't know why you say goodbye, I say hello. We just, and then there's another one that says, life is too short for fussing and fighting my friend, so I will ask you once again, try to see it my way. <laughs> you can get it wrong and still think it's all right. So I'm saying, we can work it out or you can say goodnight. You know, it's, people are the worst. Larry Norman once said, um, he's another one of my heroes from way back, but he said, you know, the Beatles said all you need is love, and then they broke up. <laughs> Human beings have a way of being contrary, a capacity to annoy, to offend, to get on each other's nerves, And worse. So, what do you do? Romans 12 has an answer. And my hunch is it too will offend and annoy someone because it is so contrary to the ways of the world, the cultural default setting that people tend to consider um, common sense these days. But here's what Paul writes Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. But instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will be heaping burning coals of shame on their heads. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Amen? Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. If you have ever found yourself wondering, how do I navigate a difficult conversation around emotionally charged topics with someone I don't agree with, then this is Christianity at its most raw and real. Now, we started with some, some petty annoyances that we all have to live through in each of our days, but I mean, what about the deep issues? What about the hurtful issues? Maybe the conversation is with your spouse. One of those uncomfortable conversation. Maybe it's with your son or your daughter or your mom or your dad, or maybe it's with a boss or a teacher or a student or a neighbor or a fellow church member. Maybe it's even with somebody on the other side of the political aisle from you. But this is Holy Spirit-inspired wisdom for you. And as it was written, at the time of its writing, this letter was first written to a minority group. Believers are a minority group in the Roman Empire under Nero, who was accustomed to establishing authority through power. This is the Roman way. And Nero would shortly be abusing power to stay in power through atrocious acts of hostility, of violence, unleashed on whomever he considered his enemy, whether it was a family member, several family members suffered under him, or another Roman citizen, Roman senators, or Christians, this minority group. And so Paul is not writing for Hallmark cards here in this text. And neither is this just like shock jock hyperbole so that he can draw a crowd, get an audience. No, this is like straight up spiritual direction Today we would call it emotional intelligence for volatile situations, how to be ready to respond to potentially divisive and destructive settings. So imagine yourself as part of a spiritual bomb squad where you actually know not only what it takes to defuse the potentially explosive situation, but you actually have what it takes to redeem that situation for good. Huh? So when people are, like, people are the worst, then how can you seek to bring God's best there? So what I'm thinking is there may be something from this first century letter that could apply to some of us in our 21st century world. What do you think? But it's not something for the government. You know, this wasn't written to Nero. This wasn't written to Caesar. It's not something for the media, though the Lord knows that there is truth here for both government and media, to pay attention. It's not something for national identities like Ukrainians or Russians or Iranians or Americans or all the other nations that are in the headlines these days, though every nation could benefit from following God's wisdom, that this wasn't written to political parties. The ones in our country didn't even exist then, Republicans, Democrats, it wasn't written for special interest groups. Feminists, LGBTQ, and all the others that people identify with, though I'm telling you it could offer guidance to each one of them, it wasn't written to any one of them. Who was this written to? Christians. The minority group. This first century text was written to followers of Jesus about how do we follow Jesus seeking to bring God's best to a world where people are the worst. This was written to the church. How can the church be the church in a broken, fallen world of upheaval and uncertainty and injustice? And so let's hear it again with that context. The letter Paul wrote to Rome, to the Christians in Rome. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And in doing this, you'll be heaping burning coals of shame on their heads. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Never pay back evil with more evil. But do things in such a way so that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Did you know that Thomas Jefferson had um, his own version of the New Testament? And it was one that he had taken his scissors to, and he cut out all the parts that he didn't want, (laughs) including all the miracles of Jesus. He just cut them out of his Bible. Now I'm thinking if I were to cut something out of my Bible it probably wouldn't be the miracles of Jesus, you know, I'd want to keep those. It'd probably be this place right here. You know, the part about blessing my enemies, about never getting even, about not taking revenge, you know. I'm thinking maybe if that wasn't in my Bible then maybe I wouldn't have to deal with it. But there it is. And so here we are. The word revenge means carry a judgment completely through. It's like saying, take justice into your own hands. Be the judge, be the jury, be the executioner. It's all about you. You Just do it. It's like we see in so many of our movies. You know, this is like instant karma. Vindication through retaliation. He says, don't do that. It occurs to me that revenge comes in many different degrees. Have you seen this? Maybe you've tried some of these. Maybe you actually learned them in the family dynamic that you grew up in. Degrees of revenge. This is what occurs to me. Level number one, this is what starts in your mind. And in your mind, you know, you can just sit in it for a while. You can steep in this, you can stew over an offense. You can nurse a hurt in your mind as long as you want. I mean, you could just soak it up in the vinegar of it, and you can, you can just get moody, you can get mad, you can get sullen, you can get quiet, you can get pouty, but at level one, it's all about what's happening in your mind, and where you go with your head, and as you just sit there in your head, and then it starts affecting your mood, which brings us to level two, Your mouth. These are verbal degrees of revenge. Anybody know about these? This is where you seek to do damage through gossip. You don't always admit it, but you seek to do damage through gossip, rumors, slander, foul talk, put-downs, triangulating with others that aren't even involved in the situation, backstabbing, and there there are many varieties of verbal revenge, but they're all part of what I would call level two. Level two, level one, I just sit in it in my mind. I hold on to it till it affects my moods. And then level two, I squeeze it out through my mouth. Level three, it moves from the mouth to your behaviors, like stonewalling. What's that? That's the silent treatment. You need to just like block them out. I've, I do this one. You see how you like life without me in it, right? <laughs> And how long can you go? It's like freezing people out, or sabotaging. You go under the surface, you're beneath the radar, but you're targeting and you're taking stuff out, but you're like, what, me? (laughs) Or passive aggression. That's a very sneaky one. Or alliances of resistance, all level three. Level four then takes us to acts of physical violence stealing, fighting, taking property, taking life, stuff that shows up in the news every day that we see it. So many types of revenge to choose from, and yet Paul says that followers of Jesus, wait a minute, we can't, we're we're never to use any of them? What fun is that? What's he thinking? Well, the, the letter tells us what he's thinking. He's thinking that that justice would be done most appropriately by the one who has all the information and who also loves completely, God. That's in fact what he says, verse 19, God says, oh, I'll take care of that in a righteous way. he's He's thinking that people who follow the Prince of Peace, Jesus, who said this, blessed are the peacemakers. There's blessing in peacemaking that uh, that they need to do everything they can to follow and make for peace. Really? That's what he says. He's thinking that there's another kind of power more helpful than revenge that spiritual warriors need to have in their arsenal when enemies present themselves. By the way, did you know of the 150 Psalms in the Bible, 90 of them deal with enemies. (laughs) Those Psalms are for righteous people and two-thirds of the time, righteous people are dealing with enemies. And here, that letter is what Paul, he's referencing in this letter, that some of those texts. There's, There's another kind of power that will come to a spiritual warrior's aid in dealing with an enemy. Kindness. What? Wait. you, you Your scissors yet. <laughs> He's thinking, God is growing us to be bigger people in Christ than our petty divisiveness and defensiveness and our differences. God is, God is growing us to be more like Christ through loving our enemies. Ah, And he may also be thinking from his own experience because, you know, he was a persecutor. He was charged with doing justice as he saw fit. He, He was on the other end of the giving on this. He may have, it's not in the text here, but he may have been reflecting upon some of his own emotional journey and realizing that, you know, all the violence I did didn't resolve the emotion, the physical loss, or the spiritual hurt that was going on in my heart. Now, maybe somebody's wondering, well, what about that eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, Bill? I mean, that's in the Bible, right? It's like, yeah, that, that's... a that appeals to our sense of justice what about justice that's exactly that's the point what about justice but the complete context of where moses was writing that one in at his time was to temper and limit revenge not to vent it but to establish fairness as a process for justice to be done so he says just one eye just one eye for an eye. Only one tooth, not a hand, not a head. It's a figure of speech, which he, he, he means that it's trying to stop this relentless cycle of human revenge. You know, you took mine. Oh yeah. I'm going to take yours. How's that feel? Oh yeah. You took my, okay. I'm going to take more of your, how does that feel? And then it just escalates, you know, and becomes uglier at every level. This is one, I think the evil one loves this because it's such a diabolical deception that is cloaked as fairness but is actually doing damage. And people become uglier at every level until the hurt goes deep and the wounds stay long. And I've seen divorce do that in my ministry through the years. I mean, you just play that one out, and you'll see soon enough that you'll have reason to agree with Calvin Miller, who said this An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is a fair, satisfying, and rapid way to a sightless, toothless world. People are the worst. So Jesus and Paul (laughs) agree here that revenge, no matter how many TV shows and how many movies make it the central plot line of the drama, it is not a go-to place for Jesus' followers. Our faith calls us to see that revenge against those who hurt us is wrong and unnecessary. Ah. I know you keep saying amen, but does this annoy anybody? Because like, oh my goodness. Uh, it's not that you say amen, I love that you're in something. But it's not easy. Wrong and unnecessary, revenge is wrong, no, it feels right. It feels so right. Unnecessary, are you kidding me? This is necessary, right now. And yet, God wants us to hear him say, you know, I got this one. So isn't that really the critical issue? Who's gonna be God here? Am I gonna succumb once again to the temptation that took us down in the garden? And say, I gotta do this. It's up to me. He's holding out. He's not gonna show up. And God is saying, no, I got this. God will repay. Leave them in my hands. Don't try to play God. Now, here's another question. What's the difference between revenge, retaliation, and punishment? Well, revenge is retaliation. Retaliation for a personal hurt, personal injury done, either real or imagined harm. You perceived an injury, you got defensive, and then you unloaded. Chances are that's how it works for you. What's the difference between revenge and punishment? Well, revenge is retaliation. Punishment is justice. There's a process involved given by appropriate authority in society. It involves law enforcement in the courts or school. And in family, it's a parent disciplining a child. And it's wise <laughs> when before for parents, before disciplining or correcting a child, to always give yourself pause and say, now why am I doing this? Is it because I really want to help my child correct their behavior out of love, or am I venting and retaliating because I feel injured? Hmm. And in our day, revenge has found a digital voice. Public floggings are back, someone said, in the form of social media. And so cancel culture has people deleting other people from their lives. Talk about stonewalling and going silent and getting sabotaged and taking them out. It's like cancel culture. This is a way to ostracize and reject someone, but not only that, you can try to block them from having a prominent platform or even a career because of their offensive behavior or their transgression. The public figure, here's how it works. A public figure or celebrity says something offensive, and then in come all the calls to cancel that person through boycotts or through employer disciplinary action, which raises this question for ethicists, is this a tool of social justice calling for accountability, or is it an act of social media mob revenge? Talking to Christians now. Followers of Jesus. J.K. Rowling, author of Harry Potter, is one of the most canceled authors, canceled people, in culture, for holding an opinion that goes against the grain, what's a believer to do in a culture like this? What's a if you believe in freedom of speech? I'm a believer. If you believe that justice matters, I'm a believer. What's a believer to do if uh, if you're a believer in Jesus and Christ, I'm a believer? I want to follow Christ. And Paul is writing to Christians in a culture like that saying, here is the heart of the the tension in Romans chapter 12. And he calls believers in Jesus to a radical approach. Here's what he says. Act as if your enemies are worth caring for. I like this Bible better. Act as if your enemies are worth caring for. If your enemy's hungry, feed them. (laughs) They don't deserve to be fed. Correct. This is a lesson in unconditional love at work through mercy. This is God's kind of love. By the way, the only time that mercy can actually, the mercy card can be played, is when it's not deserved. You know that? You can't really show mercy if you haven't been treated wrongly. This is unconditional love at work, and yet it has potential transformative impact. Now when I was working on this message, I was also in my devotional time in the mornings, I was. In reading through Kings, Second Kings, and I came across this story for some reason, hadn't remembered it, Elisha delivers the enemy army to his king in Samaria, who asks him, the king asks Elisha, well, should I now kill them? They're all his enemies. And Elisha says, well, that's not how we treat prisoners of war. Instead, verse 22, set food and water before them, so they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. It's like, let's give them a feast, the preacher says. Show them some respect, some courtesy, some kindness. Let's treat them like image bearers of the Most High King. And verse 23 says the king of Samaria does that. And then uh, after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away. They returned to their masters. And this is the final verse of the passage. So the bands of Aram, the gangs, stopped raiding Israel's territory. Kindness killed the attitude of attack. Huh. President Lincoln, there's a story told about a woman who rebuked Abraham Lincoln for his conciliatory attitude toward the South, which she felt should be destroyed after the Civil War. And Lincoln replied, do I not destroy my enemies when I make them my friends? Yeah, okay, okay, I get It's Lincoln. Can kindness really kill the attitude of attack yes. in, in your relational life? Can, can it, you actually pull the fuse out of the hate bomb? Is that possible? You know, it's risky. <laughs> Think about it. Maybe you're thinking of some situation right now. People are so angry. We live in angry times. Even our games are angry. You ever played Angry Birds? (laughs) But it's so easy to be defensive. And Paul says, don't do it. Really? Wait, wait, wait. Don't do it? I mean, not level one, not level two, not level three, not level four. Not, I don't get to go to any. Don't do it. What does he say? Instead, he says, Don't do it. If you feel the need to be offensive, then offend your own pride. Basically, what he's saying offend your own impulse for revenge and do what Jesus did with his enemies. Choose to be loving. And leave them in your Father's hands. Here's what Jesus did at the worst possible moment of injustice, abuse, and hurt in his life. He moved from defensiveness to loving his enemies. Father, forgive them. They don't know. I know what you're thinking. I'm not Jesus. But Christian, you can follow him. That's what this is about. If you want to do, you know, you don't, you don't, this is a call for action. You can choose to take action. Feeding is an action. Serving is an action. He doesn't say wait around till you feel good about it. He says, here's something you can do to take action. When you see the levels of revenge start having their way in you and you don't want to get stuck in a grudge where you're going to nurse it in vinegar and you're just going to rehearse and stew in that resentment and how you deserve something much better than this and you can't believe how they would do this and then you start talking to other people about it and then it starts rising up with you and then you can't even think about them when they're getting angry about it. Paul says, when you sense that starting, you know what you can do? Believer, there's another tool in your arsenal here. There's another weapon. Next time, Christian, you can choose to follow Jesus. You can take action. If you want to do something truly radical, break the cycle of retaliation. Don't insist on your rights. Christian, instead, follow Jesus and do a greater right. A right that's even greater. And bear witness to the prince of peace. In the midst of this, where are my scissors? How do you do that? Well, you take positive action. You eliminate your enemy by doing good. Shall I say that again? Eliminate your enemy by doing good. How? Well, you look at the situation and see what needs could I be possibly meeting. Are they hungry? Are they thirsty? Is there something here I could do? You lend a helping hand. You speak kind words. You you send a gift. You smile. You don't curse. You offer blessing. Wait. Wait a minute. Okay, this comes to mind for me. I get people who have mistreated me, who said ugly things about me, who continue to say ugly things about me. Other people listen to them. They spread them. Sometimes they show up online, stuff like that. What am I supposed to do about this? So here's what I do, because how could I stand up and speak to you about how hard this is and trying, inviting you to do it if I'm not trying to do it? What you got to do, what I got to do, what I seek to do is use their names and ask God to bless them. I call them by their first name before the Lord, and I say, Lord, would you please bless? You know they don't deserve it, but would you please bless? You know what they did to me, but I'm asking that you would bless them. And Lord, if you need to temper your blessing with justice, it's okay with me. You pray, you pray literally by name for that person. You ask God to bless them. You don't take the bait of bitterness. You got to pay attention to what's going on in your head, what's coming out of your mouth, what's happening in your soul. And then you say, I'm going to follow Jesus. If you want to do something truly radical, nobody can force you not to love them. That's your choice. And that's the gospel truth. This is what the cross means. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He did it for you. He did it for everybody you love. And he did it for everybody you don't love. (laughs) Jesus did it for you and everybody who looks like you and thinks like you. And he did it for everybody who doesn't. The cross, you can't even be a John 3.16 Christian without saying God's love is bigger than my world, it's as big as his world, and God so loved the world that whoever, whosoever, all the people that hurt me, yeah, whosoever, people that hurt you, yeah, whosoever, but they can take a turn into an eternal kind of life. God didn't send his son to condemn the world. God's not into cursing the world. He's trying to save the world and he's paying this kind of price to make it happen. That's true love. That's unconditional love freely demonstrated and made available to whoever. And that's the heart of the gospel. What if we started with some of that in our homes? Just to start at marriage. What if instead of holding a grudge and taking count of how many times that hasn't ha- how many times you'd What if you got on the front end of that and said, I'm going to be Jesus in this relationship, and I'm going to ask Jesus' forgiveness to bless you and meet me in healing there with our marriages? What if it happened with our parenting, with how our young people treated your parents, with how parents treated their children? What if we said, there's a right way to do right? And I want to be on the most right side of that equation. What if we practice that with each other at church? What if the next time you're in a group and somebody says something that, what was that? Where did that come from? And what am I going to do now that you just chose to say, hmm, that's interesting. (laughs) You know, what if we started practicing some of this gospel unconditional love in our one-on-one personal relating in the office at school with neighbors even with people who consider us their enemy is that really what he's talking about is that what Jesus thought is that what Paul was thinking what would that look like when someone hurts you I'm not talking about a petty annoyance now when somebody hurts you you don't give them what they deserve in your mind or in your mouth or in your heart but instead you give them to God and you say, God, you love me, you know me, you know how deeply this hurts, and I'm coming to you with it. What if, but you're saying, but Bill, what do I do with my hurt feelings? You don't know how much this hurts. I I know I don't know how much it hurts, and that's a good question. If you've been injured, what can you do with your hurt feelings? Here's what the scripture said. Here's what Jesus said he came for. He said he came to heal broken hearts. God is close to the brokenhearted. Has your heart been broken? Has a promise been broken? Has a family been broken? Has a marriage been broken? Has a dream been broken? you got broken places in your life. What are you supposed to do with all this broken stuff? And Jesus says, bring it to me. I'm here for the broken. I heal broken things, and I bring healing into the broken places. So what if with your hurt feelings, what are you supposed to do with them? You're supposed to take them the same place that I do, to the cross. Where God says, you know, I feel every one of those. I know everything you've been through. All the injustices that have been done to you, I have taken into me. That's what that means. So he's not out of touch. We bring them to Jesus and we let them bring us closer to him. You mean your hurts can actually help you go spiritually deep? Yes, that's What I think it means, instead of letting them poison your mind and resentment grow into bitterness or hatred or rage, you just process your anger with Jesus at the cross where God processed his. And as God works through his wrath through Jesus on the cross, he can actually bring healing to you and yours and release you from the need and the temptation to play God. Hmm. But what do I do when I feel a conversation going into a danger zone? Like this week, that might happen, right? Well, the text really gives us some very practical wisdom. First, let God be God. It's not up to you. You don't have to defend his righteousness. You don't have to defend God's righteousness. Just start by saying, I'm not God, so I'm resisting that temptation. Next, you can care about the person you're talking to. Reflect upon how much God cares for them in Christ. That he went to the cross for them, yeah, for them, for you too. That's how it works. and then listen to understand where they're coming from long enough that you can say back to them, "I think I get what you're saying, and they hear their voice reflected in yours this this is this is deep empathy isn't it this is compassion don't offer your perspective until you know that they feel like they've been heard and then ask the Holy Spirit this whole time you know is there something helpful I can do here is there food or water or some practical thing I can do not waiting for you to feel like it this is actions that you can take so that it doesn't suck you in the vortex doesn't suck you in and then maybe you could close by this. You can even say this. I've said this. Thank you for sharing. It helps me understand better. And even though I may not be in agreement, our relationship matters to me. You matter to me. And I'd like to keep the conversation open. Huh. Well, that bomb didn't blow up. <laughs> There's a way to do this. There's a power in kindness. And that power can kill the attitude of attack and instead create an opportunity for understanding and peace. I don't say agreement. We disagree with each other, but we don't dishonor one another. And instead, we invite the Prince of Peace to meet us at the place of peace. Do you have peace in your heart, in your mind, in your relationships? would you like to? That's why this is in here. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, how we must look from your perspective. We get so so confused. We get so misdirected. We're so protective about ourselves, and we think so much of ourselves. Um, And it hurts when we're mistreated. There's so much ugliness in the world, there's so much violence, there's so much emotional unloading and injury that is done. And so I pray today first for the wash of your healing over our hearts and our souls and our minds, that you would bring fresh renewal, uh, clean hearts and, and freedom from past injury as we come to the cross together. Thank you for your daughters and sons here, whom you have called, to know your love and forgiveness, and then now to show your love and forgiveness with one another. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that in your infinite soul, you took all of the pain and injustice that has ever come to us, that has been done against us, and those that we have done against others, some on purpose, some misguided but the injury is still there and some of us haven't talked to people for a while. So I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would now speak to us with your wisdom and your truth about how to get free, how not to be stuck where we've been and how not to let the enemy, our spiritual enemy, use revenge to keep us prisoners. But instead, today, we could see captives set free right now there's something that's coming to mind that Jesus is saying, let me have that. Let me have that. I've got that. Let his wounds bring healing to your injuries. And now for someone in particular, maybe you, you know that what really needs to happen here is you need to open your life to God completely. Not just Sunday religion, but Jesus, come into my life, forgive my sins, fill me with your Spirit, teach me how to follow you, and not lean into my own way, but learn how to follow yours. I make this prayer in your name and receive you as my Savior. Our heads are still bowed just for a moment, but if you prayed that prayer with me and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, would you simply raise your hand wherever you're seated, hold it up for a moment so that I can see. Though Those of you joining online, please just let us know in the chat so we can pray with you and for you. I'm seeing hands all over the room. To my left, thank you. Right here on the aisle to my left, several hands right here in the front row, amen. Right here in the fourth, fifth row, God bless you. Multiple hands, amen. Lord Jesus, for every person who by uplifted hand is saying my heart is open and I'm trusting you as my savior, forgive me, fill me, free me. Lord, may they know the presence of your peace in the person of your spirit right now as we make our prayer in Jesus' name, amen.